As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Newcastle at home, Palace away, Wolves away, Fulham at home, Arsenal away, Newcastle away, and now Manchester United at home. Anyone who says that 2-0 is the most dangerous lead in football should watch Tottenham try and defend when they're one goal up in the first half. My name's Jack Pitbrook, you're listening to the View from the Lane podcast, I'm joined as always by James Moore. Tottenham have just lost again, uh, 3-1 at home to Manchester United in a game where I didn't think they were great in the first half, but there was some promising glimmers i think james and then it all fell apart again yeah i mean i think you'd say if they played the same way in the first half in the second half i don't think you could walk away from that game with too many complaints really i mean like you say they weren't incredible but they uh, they weren't bad let's put it that way but yeah the second half as we've kind of become accustomed to (laughs) it just seemed like they just completely lost like any interest any focus any confidence that they had that they'd kind of built up through the first half and they were just so meek in the second half. It was kind of like, it was almost like they were waiting to lose the game. And, you know, you've kind of written earlier this season or in the last couple of months that the players are coming away from training sessions thinking all they're getting told is what can possibly go wrong rather than, like, being given the solutions to the problems. And that just kind of, like every game you've watched since then, more or less, you've seen that kind of come to fruition. It's just, you know, they're kind of... I'd say relatively fortunate for that first goal to be disallowed by VAR. I wasn't surprised that got disallowed because, you know, you put a hand in someone's face, as we've seen literally almost a million times in the last sort of decade. Uh, You're probably going to get called up on that. So the fuss around that, I think, is absolute nonsense. So, yeah, despite that, I kind of still think it was a little bit fortunate for that goal to be disallowed because that wasn't really a factor in the goal going into the back of the net, if you see what I mean. Uh, and they then managed to score a good goal. You know, they should be... Now, that's kind of, what, the 41st minute or whatever. They're going into half-time. They should be confident. They should be thinking, right, OK, let's keep it solid. Work hard. Try and keep the ball as well as we can. You know, I think they had more possession of the ball in the first half of Manchester United, didn't they? Yeah. Wasn't it 52%? They had 56% of the ball 56. up until they scored the goal, okay. which is, like, not, not hugely important in the scheme of things, but does show that they were playing a slightly different game from normal. And I thought it worked. You know, with Lacelso. They had this, rather than Lucas as the 10, they pushed out Lucas out onto the right, brought Lacelso into the middle. So we got the proper NHL midfield, which we've barely seen this season. 
because of Lucas's fitness issues and it took Mourinho until February to move Ndombele away from the 10 position. But we got the midfield that we wanted to see. And no, I thought Spurs' execution in that first half, James, was not great. But I thought the idea was there to try and keep the ball in United's half and uh, to try and press high United at times. And uh, and they also scored that beautiful goal, didn't they? Which was the kind of, you know, Ndombele to Lacelso to Lucas to Kane to Son. A sort of one-touch move. And you watch them and you think, these players are really good. <laughs> like, yeah. They're really, yeah. really good players. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure people will now be listening to this saying, well, yeah, we knew the attacking players were good, but it's the defensive players that are the problem. But again, we keep talking about the fact that their defensive record is like comparable to the best teams in the Premier League. And it's actually an attack where they're probably struggling in comparison, in terms of the numbers at least, in comparison to previous seasons. And sure enough, you see that in the second half, where they can barely string two passes together going forward. It's like, it's not just the defenders who like are lacking confidence when the chips are down. You know, it was incredible. Someone that someone passing in that second half, they just couldn't like they couldn't string three or four passes together to get the ball up to the other end of the pitch. And then, like part of that was Lacelso going off after a, an hour or so for the for Sissoko to come on, which I, I know a few people have kind of said is a similar sort of regressive substitution to some of the others we've seen. Which may I think maybe a little bit unfair, particularly given I guess the primary reason for that was probably Lacelso's fitness, really. But yeah, it, it was just like. You know, they're in the game, they're 1-0 up, they've played well, you think, right, this is it now, you're you're 1-0 up against a team second in the league, a team who are demonstrably a very good side, you should be massively confident, let's go out in the second half, and you know, and you're thinking like that, you wouldn't say this in a dressing review with a manager, obviously, but you're thinking like, well, even if they, look, they lose and they fade well, then at least that's like a step, a tiny step in the right direction. And you just play like absolute chumps in the second half. Like, they just don't want it. And I just... God, there are clearly such massive issues in that dressing room at the moment. I mean, you only have to see like Son's uh, reaction to it after the game, that interview on Sky, oh, interview on the official website, sorry, Um, which I know you want to talk about. I mean, that guy is absolutely devastated and it's not because they've lost the game 3-1. It can't just be because they've lost that game. Yeah, That's not the Champions League final or whatever. You know, if it's the end of the season and it's like that, you can kind of see it might just be a footballing thing. It can't just be a footballing thing. Yeah, I completely agree. Like the... uh... The it was just that sense of inevitability in the second half and that absolute lack of I don't want to say fight because I don't want to suggest that the players weren't trying hard enough because I think the players you know I, I don't I don't think it's that the players are down tools or are not trying it's that I just think that the players don't believe that they can win games they don't believe that they can hold on to leads you know the only times really that they can win are. You know, if they blow the opposition away in the first half and it becomes, you know, like the, the the Palace game and the Burnley game, I don't think they I don't think they have the kind of the courage or whatever to win these tight games or the confidence. And even you know, it was clear right at the start of the second half, United sort of flew flew at Spurs, sort of uh Wambasaka had a shot, uh Rashford went through, and you could tell hold on a second, United are really going for it now. And then M- Mourinho switched to a sort of four two three one, pushing Ndombele back with Le Celso up as a 10, maybe to try and help stabilise Spurs in midfield, but that just meant it was harder for Spurs to keep the ball. And then they took on, and then they're bringing on Sissoko for Le Celso again to try moving Ndombele as the 10 and then having Sissoko alongside Hoiberg. Like it just, it, it made no difference to the flow of the game. If anything, it accelerated it. And of course, by this point, United had got effectively Fred, McTominay, Bruno, Pogba, all in that midfield area, just dominating Tottenham. And Tottenham can get anywhere near them. And it's just, it was so, like, none of the United goals were at all a surprise, really. And 
I think you know you can go. We spent a lot of the season analysing the defensive mistakes, and obviously, I didn't think you know I thought Dyer and Roden struggled all day with Cavani's movement, and I thought Reguilon switched off at times. Uh, I think he's he's not playing great at the moment. Aurier obviously switched off as well as he as he often does. But Tottenham could have played Davis, Alderweireld, Sanchez, and Doherty, or Davis, Alderweireld, Sanchez, and Tanganga as like a completely different back four. And I do, I literally I genuinely don't think the result would have been any different. Because I think the issues are so like systemic, structural, however you want to phrase it. Like they're not just it's not just to do with the fact that this that the defenders are not great. It's to do with like the overall just lack of confidence and lack of belief and you know, the the way that they retreat into their own half as the second half goes on. I know Mourinho has said that this is not his instruction to players, and I, I can't I can't verify whether or not that claim is correct. But the fact that the players the fact that that is the player's instinct to do that just shows how you know they don't have the confidence to stay on the front foot. And we've seen that time and time and time and time again this season. And it's it's cost us so many points. It's supposed to be second if they had all those points that they dropped from games where they were ahead in, which is just unbelievable. And yet, it's it's unfortunately it's a sad reality of Tottenham season. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've gone through this so many times, so we're not going to go through it in great depth again. But the ma- the manager cannot like wash his hands of that. He cannot say that that's all down to the mentality of the players because these players we've seen we've literally seen most of these players get to European Cup final and as we were yeah. saying last week you, you expect there to be some regression with some players like once they've turned thirty and as I've said before I know from experience once you turn thirty you're fucked it's gone it's true Can't it's, you better get out of bed in the morning for fuck's sake but look, I mean last night there's this Twitter account called. Uh, Premier League players and basically it tweets every single player in the Premier League in chronological order from when they made their debut. Great account. Great account. It's Prem LGE players, if you want the at. Um, and last night, just by coincidence, they, they tweeted out Kevin Wimmer. Right. And this guy, the, the legend, Sonny's best mate, maybe that's why he was upset. He, played, he started 13 Premier League games, kept four clean sheets. 12 goals conceded in those games. And he played against like all of the best teams, you know, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, everyone. Won that time. It was in the team when Spurs won at the Etihad in 2016. Uh, you know, and obviously that kind of, it's kind of ironic that that came up last night because he wasn't a brilliant defender by any stretch of the imagination. But his performances in those kind of 18 months, two years he was in the team or around the team were way, way better than you've seen from any like defender or in terms of consistency from any defender in the Spurs team this season. And it just kind of goes to show that, like, if you're well organised, well drilled, if you're instilling confidence in the players and in the team and in, as a unit, like, players will obviously play much better. And this culture of fear, this culture of feeling like you're going to be dug out if you make a mistake or get dropped after making one mistake, it's just completely counterproductive. It's, it is it is ludicrous. I mean, I, it is so transparent. To me, to me, it just seems so obvious. I'm not saying that's like a uh, <laughs> that's the biggest problem Spurs have, but it is it is so clearly like taking them down like sort of ten fifteen percent, and like th- those fine margins have cost them in a lot of matches. Completely, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you are absolutely right. I think the issue is that a lot of the players, a lot of the players don't have belief and confidence in what they're being asked to do. You know, look at Craig Dawson to pick someone out of midair. Uh, Craig Dawson obviously went to West Ham at the s- start of the season or in the mid- uh, early on in the season. 
He's played basically every game since Christmas. West Ham are now ahead of Tottenham in the table. I'm sure, you know, if you ask Tottenham fans at the start of the season, would, would you take Craig Dawson from West Brom? I imagine most of them would have said no. But he's clearly... They would have laughed, they would have laughed at you. Yeah. And they would Craig have said, Dawson. you know, any of the Tottenham centre-backs would be yeah. better than Craig Dawson. Yeah, but Dawson obviously has, you know, West Ham being well organised by David Moyes. Dawson clearly has belief in what the team are trying to do. There's clearly, you know, just watch West Ham play on telly. Like, it's very clear how much belief in unity and togetherness that team has and they enjoy playing together. And Dawson has now found himself at the heart of, you know, not not the best defence in England, but a defence that is helping to carry to carry West Ham maybe even into the Champions League positions, depending on what happens with Leicester over the last uh, month or so of the season. Which just goes to show that it's not just... I mean, as much as Mourinho likes to talk about oh, the individual characteristics of the defenders, it's not just about the individual characteristics of the defenders. It's about can you get these guys to believe in what they're doing or not? Can you get them to enjoy what they're doing? That's another example of Mourinho basically trying to pretend he doesn't do anything, right? Because if he's saying it's all about the individual... You know, the, the individual like strengths and weaknesses of the players and they have to have the right mentality and that's nothing to do with him, then what Then what are we What are we expected to believe that he does for that £15 million a year? <laughs> Like if you, but what, but what, but what yeah, you do, yeah. you, don't, you, you don't think like what you do on the training ground has any influence on how good the players are. You don't think you can stop them making mistakes or give them more confidence. You don't think you're the one that can instill this winning mentality that everyone's mm. prattling on about. What is it? What is it that you're bringing to the table if you can't do any of those things? Having won titles in like <laughs> fifteen years ago, this is a complete irrelevance now. You've got to actually do something. You've got to actually earn your money, mate. You can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of just £1 a week for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It was very miserable. I think that second half. Like I, I should. There's one or two things I was, just want to pick up quickly. The, the first is that I did think United were really, really good. Cavani's uh, movement is excellent. I mean, having, yeah, having, men, having really, mentioned really like, how much those defenders struggled with that, I think even like on form and playing incredibly well, you know, 2016, 17, all the viral in the Tongan, I think yeah. they struggled with that. Yeah, he was fantastic. Like I'd never, uh, probably seen him a handful of times before in the flesh, but that was maybe. Uh, Maybe the Champions League against PSG, but that was the, I think the first time I've watched him up close and thought, "Wow, this guy's actually a seriously, seriously good player." Like the the runs he was making behind, his ability to come short and hold the ball up. He obviously made a, obviously United often play without a, 
without a proper number nine, but I think he does really give them an, an extra dimension, as football people say. So I thought he was fantastic. The, the other thing I want to I want to mention is that after Tottenham beat United six one back in October, I did a tweet saying that Mourinho was proving he was still relevant and Solskjaer never was. People tweet this to me all the time and DM it to me all the time, and right, that so. has and that has only accelerated this week. Uh, obviously, that was a very bad take. Obviously, I do regret it. I think it was both uh, too giddy about Mourinho and also really quite unfair on Solskjaer, who has massively outperformed my expectations of him this season. So, yeah, uh, hands up, I admit, bad take. Um, one other thing that I want to mention is just in the post-match press conference, M- Mourinho went on a bizarre rant about Solskjaer and Son and the moral honesty of the media, which I actually don't even want to touch on this podcast because I don't think it's worth talking about. I think it's just pure distraction tactics. Um, one thing I do want to mention, which I think is maybe slightly more interesting, was Mourinho was asked about, he was asked a comment on the Sky Sports pundit saying that Tottenham had been a soft touch for a long time before him, which I think was something that Roy Keenan said. Um, and Mourinho said, I can't say what I think. You know that. You know that. You sometimes want to bring me to deep questions, to deep analysis. But then when I go, I realise that I cannot go. So this is the kind of debate for pundits and journalists to have. It is much more difficult for me to go into that. Which I just thought was an amazing thing to say. The idea that Mourinho is somehow shackled by or unable to say what he wants to say when this is a man who as far as I can tell says almost almost entirely what he wants in press conferences like nobody seems to turn his ire on his opponents and enemies and rivals more willingly than Mourinho and so for Mourinho in his own mind to still be constrained and unable to say what he wants to say yeah it's interesting and I have been thinking a lot about what what does he mean by that what does he mean by that like what what is it that he can't be more critical of his players than he wants to be? Does he want to hammer them even harder? Remember, he did say after the West, after the West Ham lost in February, he did briefly say, and I think in one of his post-match interviews, I think for a long, long time we have problems in the team that I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. Um, a comment which he never followed up on or never explained. So I don't know, James. I don't know what you think he's getting at. Do you think he might want to be even harder on the players than he is? Do you think he is? somehow constrained by his inability to be critical? Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's stopping him from criticising the players in the training ground, is he? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he... What does he want to say? What can't he say? But I don't really see what benefit there is to, to criticise him beyond the level that he already has. I mean, what is he... What is, he, is he actually going to physically throw them under a bus? I mean, what... Yeah. What does what, what he... What does he feel like he's missing out on? One final thing I wanted to touch on from the game. Uh, obviously, Son... You know, I think we were all struck by how sad Son looked in that video. Uh, the interview that he did with uh, Tottenham Media after the game, uh, it was really sad to see him so upset because he's such a like energetic, enthusiastic member of the squad, usually. Uh, also, what was awful to hear was that Son has been subjected to racist abuse on social media, uh, which is obviously a huge, huge issue in football right now. Uh it seems you know it's happening more and more and more, and uh, it yeah it's just incredibly disheartening and upsetting for you know so obviously for the victims and then in in a different way I think for everyone who loves football and is involved in football in any way. I think the telling thing about that was that it just wasn't a surprise at all. No, like, like the the second team was involved in a contentious incident in the game, I just kind of knew that was going to come, and and like. It, clearly, there's a—I don't want to say trend, but clearly, there's, there's a lot of incidents like this happening at the moment, 
uh, to players on social media. But uh, this has been a thing I've seen happening to Son for years. Like these exact same comments are things he's been getting like on, on social media. And I think probably in grounds as well for like the entire time he's been in English football. You know, you remember that West Ham game where, yeah, uh, at Wembley where, you know, there were some, some things being sung at him that were just uh, obviously explicitly racist. Um, and, and I think, I mean, like, so I actually interviewed him for 414 Magazine not, not long after that and spoke to him about that a little bit. And like, when you actually speak to someone about a thing like that, you get, I mean, he didn't give like an incredibly insightful answer to answer the question, to be honest, because he was clearly really upset. But you just do get like a, a real insight into what, how that makes someone feel, how small that makes someone feel, how powerless that makes someone feel. And it, it is crazy that this is, that this is happening. I mean, I, I don't think I necessarily, I'm not saying I have the answers to this, but it is, I don't think people should be pretending this is a thing that suddenly snuck up on us. This is a thing that's been growing. And I'm not just talking about something. It's a thing that's been growing for like years in in our culture, and I don't think social media is necessarily the cause of it in a in the way that I think some people, perhaps in the mainstream media, to use a terrible phrase, seem to be suggesting. I think there might be uh, some people in the mainstream media that should probably look at themselves before they start blaming Twitter and Instagram. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So on Saturday morning, we ran a piece on The Athletic about Harry Kane's future, saying basically that he will want to leave Spurs this summer. Kane wants to win trophies. He's been at Spurs for 17 years now. He wants a change of scene. Um, We are not reporting that he will definitely go. Um, Frankly, I think it's probably at least as likely that he will stay as that he will go. But, you know, we'll we'll get into into the, the likelihoods later. Now, obviously, this is a story that got a lot of response from Spurs fans on social media. A lot of it wasn't positive. I didn't expect that it would go down well. Like, you know, I know as a football fan that the last thing that you want to read about your club is that the best player wants out. I've certainly felt that in in the past about media coverage of my team. James, as a Spurs fan, you know, I can completely empathise. I'm sure you can even more than me. Why why Spurs fans would not want to would not want to read this? I've got to say. I was a bit surprised by some of the responses and obviously I kind of kept a keen eye on some of the tweets you were getting on Saturday morning. I just don't really see that people can be massively surprised by this really. It's kind of felt like it's been, it's like an inevitability that this kind of thing would happen, that that he would want to leave more than that he would leave. So yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of a bit taken back by that but there were so many people that were just completely in denial about that. And I've got to say, if people think they had it bad on, on Saturday morning, that it ruined their Saturday morning. Bear in mind, I knew this was coming on Thursday afternoon and then I had to watch Roberto Soldado play football on the Thursday evening. I mean, how's that, how's that for context? Yeah, I actually didn't watch that game. So how did he do? It was absolutely terrible. Oh, Roberto. Well, he, he, he won't be coming back, I suppose. Um, yeah, so look, I completely sympathise with why Spurs fans would would not want to read this or not be happy with it. I just wanted to cl- to clear up a few things uh, for the re- over the rest of this podcast. The, the first thing is that we're not saying that Kane will definitely leave. Like, obviously, Kane has three years left in his contract. Uh, Tottenham has said very, very publicly that he is not for sale. So this is not a 
prediction that he will leave. You know, I think we say right at the top of the story that it will be very, very difficult to get out of Tottenham. You know, it's always very difficult for for players with time left in their contracts to get out of Tottenham. Like Kyle Walker is really the only example, I think, since Bale of being a player with three years left in his deal who managed to get a transfer away. And I think Walker was kind of unique in certain ways because of the fact that he had this falling out with Pochettino and he lost his place to Kieran Trippier by the end of the 16-17 season. In terms of the likelihood that he will go, well, I've said quite a few times on this podcast and on others that I've ex- I expect him to stay this summer. I think he probably still will. I mean, it's it's kind of... It depends on lots of other factors. You know, the first, I think, ultimately, factor number one is what happens to Erling Haaland, who's obviously the first choice for City, Man United, Real Madrid. I think Kane is more or less second choice for City, United. Not sure about Real Madrid's position in this, but I can't, I'd be surprised if Kane went to Real Madrid. Uh, So the first factor is Haaland. The second factor is whoever doesn't get Haaland, how much do they want to spend on Kane? What sort of money do they offer Tottenham? The third factor is, what does Daniel Levy think? Does he accept 100? I don't think he would. Would he accept 150? Would he accept 100 plus a good player? Would he accept 120 plus bonuses? Would he see the Kane money as a chance to revamp the squad? Would he think, there are under no circumstances at all will I sell my best player and just dig in and dig in and dig in? I'm not predicting anything here. I don't know what's going to happen. Having said all of that, though, I've seen one or two tweets suggesting that like this, this is like, it was like a non-story and nothing has really changed. And in yeah. the immediate term, that it, it might not change that much with regards to where Kane is playing next season. But the fact that, that this is something that's on his mind, I think, is that is a that is a massive thing because to me, to me that to me that is quite a big change yeah. in like my mentality towards the situation. Because I, and this is just my like prediction now. This isn't like this is not the athletic understands. This is James Moore thinks. You could definitely see a situation where, like, that they kind of come to like an amicable agreement for him to stay for another season, and it to just be kind of killed quite quickly, and then reassess it next year when he's got two years on his contract. The transfer market is in a completely different state, and maybe Levy thinks he is in a better position in two in a in a year's time to convince him to stay longer than that. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Remember how. Remember how Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to go to Real Madrid in 2008 and Ferguson yeah. said to him, give me one more year, uh, we'll win the Champions League. They won the Champions League and then and then they sold Ronaldo to Real Madrid for £80 million in the summer of 2009. You know, sometime, sometimes it does go that way. But I think that's a really important point you made, James, that it's not... I don't think it is true to say that nothing has changed. You know, up until last week, I wasn't completely sure of Kane's position. And then over the course of last week... At the Athletic, we learned that Kane does in fact want to go, and that has changed because you know a year ago he didn't want to go, and now he does. Another thing I wanted to bring up: so we've had a few people saying, "Oh, you know, this is an attempt to destabilize Tottenham ahead of the Manchester United game," and look, I can understand why people think that, but I can absolutely guarantee you that is not the case. We ran this story this week because we learned the information this week. It was not a case of wanting to destabilise Tottenham or wanting to link Kane to Man United ahead of Tottenham versus Man United. You know, they could have been playing Marine this weekend or uh, West Brom or anyone and we still would have done the story. Uh, And, you know, you you may not believe me on that, but you have to take our word for it. I also had quite a few people tweeting me, and this is quite an interesting point, saying, well, you've said all along that Kane is a Mourinho loyalist and now you're saying that he wants to leave. And I can understand why people would, would make that point, but I just wanted to say that 
yeah, Kane absolutely is loyal to Mourinho. Like Kane, Kane is very enthusiastic in his in how he's performed for Mourinho. He's very supportive of Mourinho's management. That's not true of a lot of players, but it is absolutely true of Kane. There has not been a falling out with Mourinho. There has not been a falling out with Daniel Levy. You know, Kane has a very good relationship with both. Mourinho and Levy and it's not about a big row or anything it's not like you know Walker's falling out with the club before he went to Man City in 2017 at all it isn't about that it's just about Kane's desire to win the Premier League or the Champions League and to be playing to be playing for a team that challenges for the very best trophies which is a position that Spurs were in I think you know three or four years ago but is not the position that Spurs are in now so um, it's not to do with a big breakdown of relationship between Kane and Mourinho. The other thing that I've seen a lot of tweets about is this kind of suggesting that, that because there are no direct quotes or directly attributed quotes in this piece, that it must all be sort of nonsense and conjecture. But that is the way these well-sourced pieces work, right? I mean, I, I, you're you're far better versed in these things as like a proper journalist. You're far better versed in these things than me. But I mean, that is kind of part of the course for this kind of piece, isn't it? Yeah, on that, you know, without without giving too much away, we are very, very confident in the sourcing of this story. We wouldn't have written it if we weren't. I can see why people would want to read black and white on the record quotes from people, but that never happens. Though you never yeah, get that. that. Just That's really incredibly the, rare. That just isn't really the reality of of how these kind of situations work. Um, and the one other thing that I wanted to to mention is that. People say, oh, you're trying to sell Kane. I'm not trying to sell Kane. Like, you, on a personal, selfish level, a big part of me doesn't want Kane to go. Like, I, I love watching Kane play every week. It is an immense privilege, even more so in COVID times where, you know, there's like, I don't know, 100 people at the game yesterday, maybe 50 people, uh, maybe even, even less than that. You know, he's an, he is an incredible player. I think he's the best English player of his generation. I think he's the best Spurs player of his generation. Getting to watch him every week is a great privilege and pleasure for me. So from that selfish perspective, I want him to stay. You know, if he if Kane leaves, then you know, Spurs are not going to replace him with anyone half as good. And frankly, I'd rather be watching and writing about Kane every week than Carlos Vinicius. You know, with all due respect to Carlos Vinicius, Kane is a kind of unique gen. You know, it's what is what some people call a generational player. And I know some people say, some people say, oh, you know, Jack, you support City, you want Kane to go to City. I, I don't care who plays for City, frankly. It's, uh, I, it, it makes no difference to me who plays for City. So I would much rather, in that sense, you know, from a selfish perspective, I'd much rather Kane stays at Tottenham because I think Tottenham are obviously a much better team with him. And, uh, you know, I spend my life watching Tottenham and writing about them. I don't want Kane to go and I'm not trying to sell him to anyone who doesn't need the athletic do that for him. Well, I disagree. I, th- I think you're a bad bloke and when I do your appraisal, it's going to be reflected in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that that might well be true. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of all we wanted to say on the story, really. I know we've got lots of tweets and I know I'm also very conscious of the fact I haven't read or responded to a lot of them, uh, but we just wanted to clear up a few things. If there's anything else that you feel very strongly about or you feel like I haven't quite answered what you're thinking, then either tweet me or actually DM me because I've got my Twitter set to only show tweets from people I receive. Sorry, from people I follow, whereas anyone can DM me. So uh, if you've got anything else yet, you can send, send me a message and we'll, talk, and we'll talk about it. But we do absolutely stand by uh, our publication of that story. And I'm certainly just curious to see how it turns out. Because like I said, I have no idea. Like James, like, is, is, is it even worth making a prediction? Like, I don't know. But on Kane? Yeah. Well, I already did. I mean, I don't know if you want to. 
Yeah, I, 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 I just don't know. I think it's, I think all the... You've got more to lose, I guess. Yeah, or I think all the scenarios are still possible. Like, I think it's possible he might go, it's possible he might stay, it's possible that he might stay and sign a new deal. Like, you know, remember Gerard in 2005? <laughs> Football transfer tavern are going to be all over that. Yeah. Remember Gerard in 2005 with Liverpool, Rooney with Man United 2010, Rooney 2013. Sometimes, you know, sometimes players... Sometimes top players get interest in other clubs. The deal can't quite happen. They they sign a new deal. Like I, I just don't know. We're just gonna have to wait and see. But I think what whatever happens, I think this just adds to the sense that this is going to be a really definitive summer for Tottenham. You know, there's so many massive variables here. There's the end of the season. There's the League Cup final. There's COVID. There's the return of fans to games. There's Kane's future. There's Son's future. There's Mourinho's future. There's the finances. Season ticket sales, which of course start again today. You know, there are so many, uh, I was going to say eggs in the fire. That's a completely mixed <laughs> metaphor. So many eggs in that the fire. That is one bad omelette. You've really, yeah. No. Uh, I just, yeah, I mean, trying to guess at this point what Tottenham 2021-2022 is going to look like, James, I think is impossible. Have you got any idea what, what Spurs will be like next season? I, I've got no idea. Uh, no, not really. I know I, I know, I know, at least one thing I'd like to change, but I think that's probably fairly felt, well, well documented by now. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, So anyway, look, we're going to keep on covering Spurs uh, on The Athletic and on our podcast, and we look... <laughs> We look forward to discussing all of these issues over the next few months because we don't know how this, you know, what the next chapter in the story is going to be, but we look forward to covering it with you. So uh, thanks again for all your time. Thank you very much to James for coming in today and thank you to producer Tom. We'll be back next week after the Everton game, which could be a sort of big turnaround for Spurs or they could be eighth, depending on what other results happen this weekend. So it's going to be another exciting week at Tottenham. At least the pubs are open though, eh? The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edged chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.